Hi there. Hello. Good to see you. <laughs> there. I'm trying to get myself centered in the there. <laughs> well, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for doing this. And I'm really looking forward to getting to talk to you and know about what you're working on and, and how you arrived at the place where you're at. Because I okay. love all things screenwriting. I think it's, it's wonderful and phenomenal. So tell me a little bit about yourself. How, how did um, you begin in this creative journey? Well, we have to go back many, many to the mists of time. Um, when I was 16 and a little movie called Raiders of the Lost Ark came out. And I had a massive crush on Harrison Ford because who didn't, right? <laughs> um, and so, of course, I dragged my, my best friend at the time to go see it. And um, from the moment that the Paramount logo turns into the mountain in the first scene, it was less about Harrison Ford, but still about Harrison Ford, but it was less about Harrison Ford and more about the movie. I remember walking out of that movie and thinking, um, this is what I want to do. I want people to, to, I want to help people feel these things. And, and it because it was a film that encompassed all kinds of things. It, mm. it was, was entertaining as hell. It was a lot of fun. Um, it was educational. um you know and and it it was just to me it was the perfect film so that's what kind of prompted me I'd always been a writer of stories and things but this is what sort of solidified where I wanted to focus Mm. so do you still contend that Raiders is is a perfect movie or or your favorite movie or has that changed over time, do you think? I would still contend that it is the perfect movie, but it has been joined on that list by a couple of others. Um, would you share a, a couple? A Knight's Tale oh, okay. is another one. Um, is another one. Um, to me, A Knight's Tale is the perfect ensemble piece. Mm. It really is. And it's... Um, I mean, Heath Ledger was absolutely amazing in that, but so was every other performance. Mm. Every single performance in that was perfect as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, and um, let's see, The Color Purple was another one that for me is, is it, it really, it really showed how, like it for me that was extremely in like educational and very illuminating um mm-hmm. and it made me go and read the book um okay. and and um so it created like it, a like a pathway for uh, uh maybe a bit of history that we weren't aware of or that we we hadn't uh learned absolutely. about absolutely I mean, there's there's a lot of i mean in being canadian we don't get the same types of um, sort of historic history mm. classes that that America gets because we have a different history. Sure. Um, so we did study um, um, slavery and and you know some American history, but it was of course not as extensive as say. So for me, it was about you know for me any kind of entertainment. I'm I'm a curious mind. Mm. I go and I will. If I don't know something, I go and read about it or I watch a movie or I watch a documentary or, Mm -hmm. you know, so that those are those are some of my favorite films. Um, 
And funnily enough, two of them are Spielberg. <laughs> <laughs> well, he he definitely knows what he's doing. I think in, even in terms of respecting what's on the page and making it bigger, making it better and, and amplifying it. I'm, I'm actually, I haven't seen West Side Story, but I'm really, really excited about that. Now, you know, I am a musical theater person. I, I love musical theater and I, I think it's phenomenal. But something about Spielberg exploring his childhood film, the one that really made him want to be a filmmaker. There's got to be something purely magical about that. Uh, regardless I watched of how- it a couple weeks ago and oh, it yeah? was absolutely spectacular. Oh, that's awesome. It was, <laughs> I mean, I love the original because I love the cast in the original, mm-hmm. but I love the cast in this was much more diverse more representative of it's funny when i i remember we um rita moreno was talking about this about how not all latinos are light-skinned latinos right there's a spectrum i liked that that maria and anita were very very different representations Mm -hmm. of of what a puerto rican looks like um it and the camera work. The man is a genius. He's a genius. Doesn't it just baffle your mind? I mean, the fact that he can uh, choreograph something to that scale. I mean, at this point, I mean, it's almost child's play to him, I imagine, you know, having done oh, it yeah. for so long. But it's it's just so fascinating how a mind can work like that. He's still the gold standard. I don't care, you know, who comes out. I have a lot of favorite filmmakers, but I would say Spielberg still holds up as, as same, the same here, the or end all be all of his generation and of the, the medium. Like at this point, there's, there's almost no contest. I mean, yeah, there, I mean, it's, it's, I feel guilty as a woman who is a writer and a director that (laughs) there's, there's not really sort of a woman of that generation right? that I can look to, but Mm -hmm. I think it's okay because I mean, I, I grew up without the only woman director I grew up with was, well, there was Nora Ephron, Mm. um, but she wasn't, she didn't really come along until I was in my twenties and uh, Penny Marshall. And that was it. Like that was it. We did not have others. Yeah. And it's, it's a fairly limited pool given, you know, what the industry is. I mean, it's, it's still laughable to some degree. I mean, that, that you, you don't have that many women film filmmakers represented. I mean, they're out there and, and they've well, always they been out there. It's just the, the infrastructure of the industry that prevents certain people from, uh, from getting in, but now it's hopefully getting a little bit better. Is there anyone lately that you feel you're connected with or, or in terms of their work? A more recent, I love Jordan Peele. Hmm. I love Jordan Peele's sort of his sensibilities most definitely like mine aligned most definitely with his. Oh, awesome. Um, I grew up, I grew up on, you know, like the Brady Bunch and Gilligan's Island reruns and creature feature movies like, you know, Godzilla, the original Godzilla (laughs) and, and a lot of musicals. Oh my God, the musicals. And, and, but I also for TV, it was like, we watched a lot of Twilight Zone. Oh, yes. And I, I totally I totally get his sort of uh, the sort of where you where you 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 are able to see humanity on the surface, but pick up its skirt and go, what's under there? Mm. Um, And I I really liked that. I like that. I loved I loved um, Get Out. It it totally was riveting from (laughs) start to finish. And then. The other one, um, what was the other one? Oh, Us. Yeah, I loved Us as well. 
Oh, absolutely. That creeped me out. But um, so Jordan Peele is definitely one of my more recent ones. Um, and when it comes to female filmmakers, I'm going to have to say, and this is going to sound weird, Elizabeth Banks. Elizabeth Banks. Yeah. Yeah. She She's... has really mastered female comedies. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Uh, what do you mean? What do you mean by that? Just so that we can. Well, OK, so I am not a rom-com girl. I usually hate them with and <laughs> the passion of a million sons. Oh, I because love rom-coms. So, you, you go for ahead, me, though. <laughs> they are like, they're so unrealistic. They're, I mean, nothing that's ever happened in a rom-com up to, up to a few years ago aligned with anything that it ever happened to me. I'm just like, I don't act like that. My friends <laughs> don't act like that. None of this makes any sense to me. Why are these people existing? I don't understand. So, I mean, the only rom-coms, like I, early rom-coms, like Sleepless in Seattle and um, When Harry Met Sally. Yeah, those were, but that was Efron. Mm -hmm. Nora Efron understood the humanity and didn't make caricatures. Um, so for me, things really changed when I saw Bridesmaids. Here was a movie where women were funny and human and very, very real. And yes, there was focus on getting married and having a boyfriend and all those things. But we also saw them as real human beings with real problems and real lives. And they weren't mm -hmm. caricatures. Mm -hmm. They were real. And Elizabeth Banks seems to have sort of embraced that as well. That, yes, women are a spectrum, the same as men. We have many interests. We're not just all about get the husband and make the babies. Mm -hmm. We we talk about things other than that. Right. Um, and she has no problem showing women as very flawed human beings as well. And I love that because again, th this whole thing where women are made into these sort of cookie cutter, they have to look a certain way and act a certain way and do certain things. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, we're not. Every woman is like that. In fact, very few women are that cookie cutter. Yeah. Absolutely. So that's that's what I love about her. And I and the fact that she is a, a absolutely gorgeous woman who is not afraid of a pratfall. <laughs> <laughs> Coming back to when when you were younger, kind of discovering creativity and screenwriting in particular, how was the life of an early starting out emerging screenwriter in, in Canada where you are? How's that life? It been? was non-existent. <laughs> Zero. Zero. Just there was nothing going on. Our industry, it's very weird in Canada. Okay. We don't, we have, we, we don't have and never have really had, we don't have a studio system at all. Um, if we want to make a studio film, we go to Hollywood. There's the National Film Board of Canada, and they fund a lot of our films, but they have very strict rules about what kind of films they will fund. What um, kind of must be done by a Canadian. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Must all be Canadian. Have to be Canadians. Um, you have to have uh, eighty percent or seventy-five percent Canadian talent on screen, and and okay, that's fair. But then they have this weird little requisite called Canadian content, and <laughs> other than French language or native. Nobody really knows how to define that. Mm. 
It it has to be because something more than set in Canada, right? It does it have to adhere to certain themes or yeah, or, or values or yes. Canadian values? Yeah. But the fact is, is Canada, while we are different than the United States, we are also very much the same because we have grown literally up alongside you guys mm. consuming the same or similar content. So life in Canada really isn't that much different. It's not. So how do you define Canadian content that isn't sort of native content or, you know, or talks about the logging industry? It's like. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Uh, So, so what's, Um, did you ever try to pursue that avenue with other collaborators or did you. Over the years? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we, up until 19, I want to say. 90 we didn't even have our own film school mm, wow and like where's if you that wanted to now? study if you wanted to study film you had to go you could study theater you could study the technical side of things so camera sound all of those things um or you could take an english class like you could get a ba in english for the writing side of things but there was nowhere that you could or you could take broadcasting which mm. was mostly geared towards on-air people. Right. And it's like, okay, but none of those things fit the bill here. <laughs> I just want to take film studies. So when I graduated high school, there was nothing. I, I could go to New York Film School. I could go to USC or I could go to UCLA. And that was it. Mm. If I and wanted so to take where, where in Canada were you uh, originally? Oh, where, I'm in, I'm still in, um, I'm, I'm in Southern Ontario. So I'm about an hour hour and a half south and west of toronto oh i see okay just to get a sense of the the geography yeah, there yeah. so i mean i'm i'm far and i'm close enough to toronto that if i had wanted to move to toronto to pursue um that career which i thought about it but mm-hmm. toronto is a very expensive city even oh, yeah. even back in the 80s and the 90s it was a very expensive city um i can't imagine oh god it's beautiful i love toronto i really do but it's but the other problem is is that the entertainment industry that we do have is very much a boys club i can't um oh yeah sarah polly is the only canadian female director who had who transitioned from acting now she's also a writer and a director right Um, right and she was a child actor so She's about the only one. And then we have the Saska sisters. They're Canadian. Um, but again, they had to literally forge their own way. They had to go the indie route, which that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. But there's no funding. There's no funding. Like if you want to, if I want to make a film, which I do, I have to fund it myself or find a, if I can find a private investor and that's not and just that's, bootstrap that's it, as they say. Yeah. So uh, what are some stories that are really at the forefront of your mind that you're you're desperate to share and tell any stories that you really passionately worked on for a while? Oh, yes. Um, well, let's see. So I currently have. I have about eight features that I've written spec features um, and about almost the same number of short films. Mm. Um, I, I tend to be horror mixed with sci-fi, mixed with action, mixed with comedy. Um, I'm most passionate about, um, there's a couple that I'm working on right now. 
So one is called uh, Shiitake Happens, <laughs> and it's um, Tucker and Dale versus Evil meets Attack of the Mushroom People. <laughs> and it's Excellent. got a couple of female middle, like, uh, you know, a um, couple of female leads, and they are definitely what I call a couple of backwoods Bettys. You know, they got a still out back <laughs> and they're, they're, there's, there's no talk of them talking about marriage or weddings or anything. It's, it's all about, you know, they, they have things to do town kind of thing from these mushroom monsters kind of thing. Awesome. <laughs> um, and um, the other one is, is um, the one that I'm having a table read for next weekend. Um, called um eat at joe's which is um well to be frank it's a cannibal diner <laughs> <laughs> so but everything i write always has sort of a lot of subtext um for instance eat at joe's the the tagline is is what would you do how far would you go to protect someone or something you love and Essentially, it's about how one horrible accident turns into a series of just absolutely terrible decisions <laughs> that just it and it's never ending. It's never ending. You you know, one bad decision cascades into another. So um, I, I try to tell stories about finding yourself or family or mm. um, very independent women. Women mm -hmm. who are are have have more of an ambition than just to get married and have a baby. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to get married and have a baby. If that's what you want, you go for it. Mm -hmm. But I think that it's important to show that women do make different choices and have the option to make choices. So my big thing is, is I'm very passionate about putting women protagonists forefront and center absolutely um yeah. and usually women who are over the age of 35 which is <laughs> which, unusual I know, which would be a nice change of pace for for a lot of our our programming right we just don't get a lot of that you don't but i also have a thing about making sure that the characters that i write are diverse as well because i mean when i was in high school even when i was in high school i mean sure we probably had about 60% white students and the rest were Southeast Asian, uh, you know, uh, all different across the town that I live in has a very high Portuguese population. We oh, had a lot of Portuguese kids at my high school. So it, I try to make sure that it's diverse as well as, you know, and I want to now, I mean, I want to now also make sure that I'm starting to integrate more disabled characters into mm -hmm. my scripts because again as a disabled person i'm disabled i'm i'm perfectly capable of doing just about anything so mm -hmm. yeah and it's great to see because <laughs> i know that that is visibility that that needs to happen yesterday like we need it to happen uh, immediately just because there there are so oh. many folks who still do not see themselves in the movies and i i always thought that was kind of the thing that we can get pretty down about i mean i i remember growing up and i i grew up in the 90s so i i had a very generous helping of diversity in some way better than most of the generations before me but there were still those those feelings like you know if i really wanted to see myself i guess i could watch soap operas in mexico you know but that's really oh, about yeah yeah, yeah yeah you know like that's that's uh where you start seeing some folks that kind of look like me but 
it, I, it's getting better, but it is something that we still have to work on. And, and in particular, with folks who, who have any kind of disability or are differently abled, I mean, we just need to make sure that that happens. So for you and your experience, did you, did you ever feel at some point like having a disability was getting in the way? Or did you always have that sort of resolve to say, you know, this isn't going to affect me? Well, my, my disability is sort of twofold. Um, I've had a hearing disability since I was, oh God, nine years old. Mm. Um, and it got worse over the years, obviously. Um, and just, just last year, last October, they finally had to do an operation on my left ear because um, they wanted to see if they could correct it at least to a degree so that I would have better hearing. Mm. Um, so yeah, I've, I've, I, I've, a lot of times I would conceal that disability, which is not necessarily good, but eventually I would say, you know what, I'm, I'm extremely hard of hearing. You need to speak up. Mm -hmm. Um, or if people would criticize the fact that I was speaking too loudly, I said, it's because I have a hearing disability Right. and all their whole attitude would change. Um, so, I mean, and I've, I've, I started directing, I joined community theater right out of high school hmm. and I started, you know, directing, um, stage managing and directing and so on and so forth for, for that. And that was a great experience. It was, uh, about 10, 12 years of, of, of a lot of nonsense cause it's theater, <laughs> but it's also 10, 12 years of a great education. <clears throat> I mean, oh, I got yeah. my first opportunity to direct and, and, in in well no i did direct in high school but again everything was everything has been it's always a battle part of it is oh, because yeah. i'm a woman and part of it is because um of the hearing disability um and then back in 2016 um uh, i uh, had a fall and um um because i have osteoarthritis the joints are not the greatest mm. and i had a fairly serious fall two of them within a two-week span on ice just outside my apartment and um oh. yeah and then about three months later um i always have started to have difficulty walking and now i'm waiting for a hip operation a hip replacement oh. operation so i see and i've noticed even more so now that i have a, a more visible uh, disability that things are much harder mm. things are um, the microaggressions, it's like, it's just astounding to me how some people treat me. Mm. Um, and, and the fact that I have to say, no, I'm perfectly capable of doing X activity or this activity. Yeah, sure. I do have to make allowances, but for, you know, someone said to me on Twitter, it was just sort of a group chat and, and I happened to say uh, that I was disabled. And said that, you know, I use a cane to walk because, you know, until I get my surgery and then hopefully I'll be able to go cane freak, you know, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and they said, oh, well, how do you expect to be able to direct on set? Uh -huh. And I said, same as I did before. I'll just have a chair if <laughs> I need to sit down. That is just yeah. so misguided. Uh, I, I think the Twitter... brain still works perfectly yeah, fine. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I can't, I can't stand that. But as we know, Twitter can be such a beautiful place, but also a very toxic and, and. Oh my God. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It gets you in the feels every time in a good way and a bad way. Uh, let's, yeah. let's say that. So in community theater, I love that you said that it was, it was nonsense because I, 
you know, I went to theater school. I did writing and directing, playwriting, and I started studied that at length because of you know similarly what you had said that there there just wasn't access to film school. For one, I couldn't afford it because you know I'm a broke Mexican kid from Wyoming. You know, that's one of those things. Wyoming, oh my goodness, my, the middle of, of that's of right. There. <laughs> that's right. So I totally get what you're saying in terms of not having access, not feeling like you can get to to that place, but. The theater kind of became this analogous thing where where I could go and invest a lot of that storytelling, take some tools and then and then bring it back to my own projects. But what are those things that you feel you took away from the theater? Um, the biggest thing was truthfully, the biggest thing was learning how to work both see because when you direct or you stage manage, you are both part of a team and yet you are one of the leaders of the team. And and that's sort of a bit of a oxymoron how do you lead and follow at the same time and that was probably the biggest thing i learned on how to sort of work together in a collaborative creative effort and to really learn how to listen and let each person bring whatever they're going to bring to the table mm. um i mean the the biggest thing i learned from actors in in particular because you know when you're a director is not to overdirect them don't tell them don't tell them how to react. Tell them the destination and let them get there. I love that. And and that was that was really hard because it was like, no, I want to see this. And eventually it was like, no, they'll get there. You just have to tell them where it is they need to get. Right. And to, you know, to and and even with people that worked in the crew, it was like, I really did have to get to the point where it was like, I don't care how you get there, but here's the deal. Get there, get there on time and don't piss anyone off. <laughs> <laughs> the biggest thing is, is don't treat people badly. Don't just don't. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And and that's the reality that I've, that I've noticed. I mean, from folks who, who are into movies, who, who I've worked on, on, on sh- sort of independent, you know, no budget projects and stuff like that. A lot of us our friends, you know, came from the same theater family and moved on to doing these these film projects. And one of the things that I realized is whenever somebody who was not from sort of that same school of respect where you say, you as the actor get to do something, you get to contribute, you get to give us a little bit for this bigger picture, uh, there, there's less authoritarianism uh, on, a, yeah. on a film shoot when, when there's sort of that theater background. Maybe it's not the case, but maybe I just feel that I've been really lucky in that a lot of my theater friends are my collaborators. And, and it's like, you you can give them a little bit of trust for them to do what they need to. But there's some folks that um, maybe don't feel that same way and want to go with a more, say, uh, Kubrick-like uh, precision and, and dictator style oh. <laughs> approach, maybe. <laughs> Oh God, Kubrick! Kubrick and his 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 five billion takes. It's like it's like to me. It's yeah. like either a, a director that has so many takes, either one of three things is happening. At least in my opinion, they don't have competent people working with them, and and those people are not getting it right. Mm. Um, they themselves are incompetent and can't dictate their vision. Like they can't express their vision to the actors in an adequate way. Or they're just cruel. <laughs> I, I think it might have been a mix of, of all of those things. And I got to say, and this is as a Stanley Kubrick fan, I do think that he did that out of 
fear that he wasn't living up to his own standard, but then kind of took it out on everyone else. I can imagine, sure, he has these images in his head, he wants them to come to life, but at the <laughs> Uh, at the at the expense of human beings kind of gets to be a, a, a bit extreme in my opinion like i yeah. i actually yeah one of my one of my favorite things i would say is the way ridley scott does it which is he sets up three or four cameras and and it's almost like theater in the round you give them three or four takes they nail it and they move on but then again he has amazing actors every single time but yeah. I was a videographer before, so I can kind of see that. It's like, this is perfect. This is just like the way that it should be, right? But but again, it's like the theater stuff that we had talked about, you know. I <laughs> I, I agree. I think I think that that and I do think a lot of times that directors, especially there's there is a lot of pressure on a director, especially the bigger the budget, the more pressure on the director to sort of make it happen. Mm-hmm. And and it takes a certain mindset and you, I do think that you have to be a director with a very strong vision. Like you have to really know what you want. And it doesn't mean you have to know how to make the most beautiful storyboards in the world, or it doesn't mean you actually know how to use the camera. You have to know how to speak to your DP and say, this is the shot that I want. Mm. And then trust that they know what you're talking about. And then they know how to get that. And if they don't, then the two of you have to work together to figure out how to get that shot. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, like, for instance, I was, uh, um, I was sort of planning the shots because, see, um, the plan is, is that I want to shoot Eat at Joe's in spring of 2023, spring, summer of 2023. Oh, awesome. Awesome. If I can get the money and I can get everything together and um, doing it. Because it's like, it gives me just over a year to do it. So I was kind of talking with another director. And um, I was kind of, we were going through the script sort of scene by scene. And I was planning the shots. And it's, for me, Edith Joe's has a real sort of Hitchcock <laughs> vibe. Because Hitchcock is, is actually one, another one of my big influences. Um, especially the way he would frame scenes and use lighting to create whatever mood that he wanted. And even his colorists, I mean, for the film, they're all so very different. I mean, mm. North by Northwest is very different from Strangers on a Train and very different from Vertigo and very different from Rear Window. They're all very, very, they all have a different palette. And mm-hmm. that's very important to, to my way of thinking. Um, and for Joe's, we were talking about this one scene where the titular character joe is intimidating another person and all i can see is that that sort of lighting that on the one side he's got sort of the orangey sort of yellowy overhead glow but then from the dining room coming through the pass is the warmer light mm. So one half of the space is sort of cold and and terrifying and the other is warm. And and to me, that's sort of a very good visual of he's a nice man on the surface, but don't mess with him kind of thing. Because there's other stuff lurking in the in the background. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then I pull in my Orson Welles influence (laughs) is another influence is Orson Welles, where the camera goes from so 
Joe is standing here and the camera goes from right here in his face. And as he leans over the guy to intimidate, because he's a big man, Joe is a big man. He's like six foot five, big, big guy. And he leans over the guy and the camera goes this way so that now we're looking up at Joe and we're getting more shadow and light mm. contrast there. So right. see, it, I forgot where I was going with this. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's all right. I mean, I, I think we get excited about the plan of attack, of especially when you got a big project coming up. So how does that look like logistically? for you like what are the things that you're going to prioritize this coming year to to get that film done or what are some major goals of yours i mean other than funding what do you say well the first the first thing i'm doing is um i did apply like my region my area we have um an arts council so i applied for a two thousand dollar grant to see if i could shoot the proof of con we're calling it a proof of concept but it's not really what you would call the same thing as a proof of concept Hmm. But it's more so that I can then it's it's more like a promotional video, almost like a trailer. Mm. And then that way I can use that to do crowdfunding and do um, um, find investors. So the biggest challenge for me is going to be finding those investors. Mm. Um, now, there's a couple of different websites that will help do that. Um, Slate, apparently, is one of them. Slate.com. Oh. Okay. Um, and because finding a private investor is sort of the biggest thing right now. And even if they don't invest all of the money, like my budget is, is I've got it at 500K, which is pretty micro budget mm-hmm. for, you know, a feature. Yeah. Um, I have this dream of one actor that I really want in it. Um, and, and I'm hoping that he'll at least read the script. I don't know. <laughs> but um, I have one actor cast already um from uh, one of my twitter people and she's going to be in the table read as well so great um great she's awesome uh, carrie hayne she's out of toronto so we've talked about it oh yeah i follow i follow her on uh yeah on twitter she's awesome uh yo she is she's absolutely lovely and she's playing um becky the the wife so finding investors is going to be the biggest thing so i need really solid materials so i've been working on a lookbook which I've got started and I'm going to consult with someone. And that's part of that is why I'm having the table read because it's like, this is going to help me. I've said to all the actors, I sent them their, their little character bios. And I said, let's see where you go with this, because maybe they'll come up with something that I can then incorporate into those characters. And I was like, Ooh, that works, you know? <laughs> and I've also asked them to sort of tell me if the dialogue sounds natural enough and, and not forced. And if there's maybe an important piece of dialogue that needs adjusting, then I can do it then. Um, it, you know, this is, this is, so those are the things that I'm doing right now, but I am going to be approaching a name actor. I'm not going to say which name. Um, <laughs> fingers cross crossed. your fingers that he'll <laughs> at least read it for the part of Joe. It's an actor that he also loves to work on independent films. Mm. Um, He's a big supporter of indie filmmakers. He is both Canadian and American. Um, I'm sure you're thinking right now, who is it? Who is it? <laughs> my my wheels are spinning, but I will leave it to the imagination right now so that we Let's don't spoil it to anything. The imagination. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to approach his manager management agency and say if he will at least read it. I mean, you know, yeah. um, because with 500K, all things going well, um, I will be able to afford WGA minimum for him. Mm. The rest of the cast will have to be Canadian and local, and that's fine. That's I can do that. Um, 
I have a friend who is, um, she is an entrepreneur as well as a salesperson, mm. but she has um, both run and promoted her own business as well as business for other people. Mm. Like she used to work in um, animal feed and would have to go to Saudi Arabia and do presentations for, you know, the, 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 the big guys there that are in the horses. It's wow. like, <laughs> yeah. So she, she knows how to it's present quite an asset. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. She's the one that I'm going to like, she's, she and I are going to sit down and go over a plan of attack. How do I approach? What kind of presentation do I need? How do I approach that kind of thing? Cause she knows how to talk to those kind of people. And sure. I'm like, yeah, no, I don't. <laughs> I'm, I'm a just the vision. Director. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> so um, it does take a, a team of local and online folks who who believe in your vision. There, would you say that uh, being online, especially Twitter, has helped begin a, a path toward filmmaking uh, or yes. screenwriting for you? Yeah. What are some things well, that? Th yeah. This isn't How's my that? first rodeo. Um, I did. <laughs> I did direct four short films of my own that I wrote and. Um, that's when I realized I'm not a camera person. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh no, it was awful. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, and then I was a director for hire and I say that in quotations because, um, I didn't actually get paid and I don't even get a cop. I don't even have a copy of the film that I directed. Oh, it no. was a feature. It was local. I got nothing. I got, I have a, um, I have a, um, a, a, a copy of the two trailers off of YouTube that I was able mm. to get and that's it. Now I did come up with some pretty good shots mm -hmm. because I do know how to make a vision. It's like, okay, I know what, I know how to frame this scene. I know how to do that. That part I can do, but I'm not so good at manipulating the camera. Mm. You know, that's, sure. that's not my specialty. So that's why you hire professionals. Yeah. So I have directed for film before I did attempt to make a feature twice before and uh, the funding never, mm. never came through. And unfortunately that that's normal, apparently in every aspect of the business. Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so the, the biggest challenge is, is going to be getting that money um, mm. and, and, and finding those investors, which because it's a horror film, I don't think should be too hard. I'm, I'm hoping, I'm thinking I'm going to approach maybe a butcher. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm making a movie about cannibalism. Would you like to sponsor me? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do think the Kickstarter is an amazing idea, you know, or or going for that crowdfunding kind of aspect of things, uh, because it, it is the cold reality of filmmaking the, these days is that you're you're on your own, you're championing your vision as best as you can, and uh, I know that there's enough people out there who will support a story like that, will believe in something like that. It's just a matter of. <laughs> making sure that the information gets to them and, uh, and they get a chance to look at it, but, uh, it's, it's a big enough world. And I think that you got something special there that might be able to take off. So I'm really rooting for you on that. I think it'll be awesome. But, uh, it, I was going to ask you in terms of things that you have learned along the way, things that you, mm -hmm. you might be able to pass on to, to somebody else who's, who's looking to get into screenwriting or who, Mm -hmm. who is acquiring the craft, what are some things that really made an impact on you? The biggest thing for me was make sure that you understand story structure. Um, I, I highly recommend 
doing a search to 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 find different there's there's so many different screenwriting books out there um my biggest thing is is pay for a book or get a book from the library but don't pay for you know one of these gurus or anything not right away you, you got to figure out first if this is the right thing for you so um the three books that i have one is screenwriting for dummies filmmaking for dummies and 30 dollar film school 30 dollar okay. film school i haven't heard that one um, 30 dollar film yeah. school i got it i don't know why i picked it up but i think it was year it was, it was years and years ago i was at the bookstore and i would always go to the film book section first <laughs> right like what's 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 new what do i need you know and um I mean, I, I had got a, I had had a couple of books from the library. I tried, um, save the cat. It was not for me, but I know other people that swear by it. Oh yeah. That's, that's a Bible these days, right? That's it is. Uh, people, and then yeah, there's the, the screenwriter's Bible. Um, there's uh Truby there's, but I do recommend anyone who wants to get into screenwriting to read books about by, by people who work behind the scenes. Goldman. Get Goldman's Adventures in the in the screenwriting trade in the in the in the in the in, you know yeah in the screen trade. Uh, please, everybody, read Goldman's book. It will open your eyes, but not in a way that will make you go, "Oh crap, this isn't for me." Mm. It will really open your eyes and go, "Okay, this is what's required of me." And maybe you will go, "That's not for me." But so far, I haven't met any screenwriter that's read it that has said, "No, that's not for me." They've all gone, "No, I can do this," you know. And I, I do recommend another book. And a lot of people don't know this about this book. It's called You'll Never Eat Lunch in This Town Again. And, the, and, the, and it was by a producer called Julia Phillips. Hmm. That sounds right. And she was a producer on some of the biggest films back in the you know, 70s, 80s kind of thing. And she talks about it now she passed away from cancer back in the 80s but she talks about the industry from a producer just, and especially from a woman's perspective which was very valuable for me oh yeah um and it it really it it changed my life it really did so i highly recommend i mean she talks about going from screenplay to screen kind of thing but Goldman, when it comes to screenwriting, Goldman to me is the standard. He's the gold standard. He's the guy you want to find out about. But also as a woman, look into the, the Hitchcock's pet screenwriter, which wrote most of his screenplays was a woman. Mm. So you also have to look. I also recommend looking at the history of Hollywood. When Hollywood started, women were as much at the forefront of things as the men were. Mm. And the majority of screenwriters were women at the time. It wasn't until later when the industry sort of, I don't know when that happened, maybe sometime around the 60s, 70s, mm. when, um, you know, men wanted to sort of support their families and they thought, oh, I'll be a screenwriter. And it's like, well, you do know that that's freelance, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, I do think we should go back to the old studio system, but um, anyway. Oh, um, no, tell me about that. And then I'll, I'll, I won't take up too much of your time, but um, I'm, I'm just curious on that I, bit. Okay, so the entertainment industry is, other than television, and even television doesn't really have what I'm talking about, the old studio system literally signed a contract. If you were a writer, a director, didn't matter what, you went to a studio, you applied for a job, you signed a contract, and they mentored you from start to finish. You were on contract with them, and you had to, say you were a screenwriter, and you had to write so many scripts per year. 
you got paid a base salary, plus you got bonuses, plus you got residuals. Sounds like a pretty awesome job to me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then they abolished the studio system in that way. And now everybody is freelance. And the, the, the industry became much more cutthroat, I think, and much less creative. I think it's, it's, we've swung too far the other direction and it's too much about the bottom line. And you get movies that have a lot of flash and very little substance. Hmm. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have movies with substance. Please don't anyone come at me about that. <laughs> oh, my God. We have plenty of movies that have a lot of substance. But we do have a lot of what I call popcorn movies that are more popcorn than anything, mm -hmm. anything else. And, mm -hmm. and that's fine, too. I'm not saying those are bad movies. But I think it was better when we had a mix. We had a really good mix. The other thing, the other takeaway is we are too far along that, see, when, it, when you were an independent filmmaker back in the 70s, you were an independent filmmaker. Mm. There was no studio interference. There was no, you know, and none, none of the studios had their own independent film section. Well, now, I mean, and you could go to South by Southwest. You could go to Sundance and you could make an impact and you could make a career out of that. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, you're lucky if an independent, a truly independent like myself, you're lucky if you get in because it's all about the studios with their independent films. And it's like, no, that's not independent filmmaking. That's, that's just the studios making lower budget films or what they call art films. Right. And it's like, no, come on, guys, come on. That's not. So it, in a way, the studio system allowed for more creative freedom and more freedom for artists mm -hmm. to come up through the ranks. So it's kind of what I would like to establish up here, not necessarily a studio, but a, a truly a hub for independent filmmakers worldwide, mm. not just Canadians, yeah. but worldwide to, to be able, because the other part of the piece of that puzzle is, is a distribution. Right. And that is all locked up. And that's, that's unfortunate, right? The big guys have uh, a lot of a stronghold on the output at this point. Now, lastly, I wanted to ask you something that I ask everyone because I think it's, it's important. And I, I also think that it's nice to, um, to lift each other up in, in such a way. But mm -hmm. if I may ask, why do we need movies now more than ever? What are the things that, that movies and storytelling, screenwriting, what does it do for our communities? And why do we need to focus on that? My motto has always been to entertain, educate, and illuminate through art. And I've always believed that art does not have to necessarily be for art's sake. You can have art that makes money. It, 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 it's completely possible. So we need entertainment because the world, even when things are completely peaceful, which they're never completely peaceful, let's be honest, there's always something going on somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, art is also a way for us to deal with our issues, whether it's because we're feeling sad and we want cheering up, so we watch a comedy, or we're feeling angry, so we watch a documentary. And that's a place for us to direct our anger. We need these stories to speak for us because the majority of people, and, and this is going to sound maybe a little weird, I won't say maybe the majority of people, but many people, a lot of people, 
don't have anywhere to sort of express their deepest feelings. They need to feel seen. And that's why we also need more diversity in character character types, gender stereotypes. We need to, you know, I understand the stereotype helps define a character, but we need to sort of step outside that as well. Um, We need, we need this, we need films and television as much now as we ever have. It's an escape. It's an expression of self. It's a way to bind communities together. I mean, if you look at, I won't use some of the more toxic fandoms. Let's look at Star Trek fandom. That seems fairly innocuous. Um, (laughs) Star Trek fans have big, huge conventions. And they all may have very different backgrounds, very different experiences, very different lives, very different opinions, but they come together as one community. Mm. And that's important. It's important to be able to find common ground with people from all over the world. We are a global community, whether we like it or not, whether it terrifies you or excites you. We are a global community and it's, it's a good thing that we have things to bind us together instead of tearing ourselves apart. Beautifully said. I couldn't have said it better, and I completely agree. Uh, so, Janet, I really want to thank you for taking the time to do this. Uh, I know we <laughs> had a couple of hiccups getting everything set up, but uh, it's it's been really lovely and amazing to talk to you. And I wanted to let you know, if you do get the, the uh, say, say, online fundraising thing started, or mm-hmm. if there's any kind of marketing that you'd like to get out, please let me know. I'd be happy to come back and include it in the description of the podcast. Or if there's oh, anything, yeah, like anything that you want to share right now, if if you got your website or or a Twitter handle. Or- I do. Um, I'll email you the link for the website. My website has all of my scripts, my my feature scripts and my oh, short wonderful. scripts on it. Wonderful. Always, always interested in in new filmmakers joining the the screenwriting, the Twitter community, um, as well. Whether they're just screenwriters or whether they're directors or whether they're actors, everybody. I want to meet everyone because. Again, we are a global community. So, I mean, I have, uh, I've worked with actors on Zoom. I did Zoom table reads for about a year and a half. Nice. Um, just, I hosted them for people and I got actors together with writers and directors and, and we did all these table reads. Um, and I worked with actors from all over the world, Australia, mm-hmm. the Netherlands, England, all over the United States and Canada, you name it. So you heard and it, folks. Yes. Open to collaboration, no matter where you are, which absolutely. is the way it I should mean, be. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Because we all have something to bring to the table. All of us have something to say. And, and it's important that art, art is important because again, it binds us together. Love it. Love it. Well, thank you. Thank you very yeah, much. This thank you so great. much. Yeah, I I hope uh, you had a good time and I'll make sure, give me just a sec. uh, I'm going to stop recording, but let me catch up with you for one moment. But thank you again, Janet. I really appreciate it. Thank you.